were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, our first point this morning is the other world. For the last two weeks, I have challenged all of us to embrace Christmas with the innocence of a child, with childlike faith. My prayer for myself, my prayer for all of you here this morning is that you will lay aside your skepticism and your doubts and believe it all. Believe it all, every single detail as it is recorded in the Word of God. I shared this a couple of Sundays ago, and then after that I received an email from Emily Bargeron, and she shared a wonderful quote with me that goes right along with this. It was a quote from one of Anne Voskamp's books, her Advent book, And it is a quote from Charles Dickens, and it goes like this. It is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas, when its mighty founder was a child himself. That's what I want for us. It is good. It is good to be children sometimes, and never, never better than at Christmas, when our mighty founder, our mighty creator, the sustainer of the universe, was a child himself. This morning, I want us to believe that angels, literal angels, appeared to shepherds who were tending their sheep, and that this whole scenario happened literally historically and dramatically, just as it is recorded by Luke in his gospel. Oh, the Bible clearly teaches us that there is another world, a world of angels, of heaven, and of saints who now dwell in glory. I like to think of it as one world with two parts, the world of the unseen and the world of the seen. One day we know from Scripture that our faith will be sight. We look forward to that day when we will shed our bodies, we will shed our sin, we will have new glorified bodies, and we will live perfectly in the bliss of heaven. But even now, even now, God gives us glimpses of the unseen. A number of years ago, I did a sermon series on angels and demons. And I shared with you at that time and have shared with you since that I believe that it is possible for angels to appear to people even now. 
It doesn't happen very often, and there is a reason for that. It is because God does not want our focus to be on angels, but on Christ. But nonetheless, every once in a while, you hear of someone who has had an encounter with an angel, and I believe it's possible. Even now, I believe that when God chooses to do so for his own purposes and for your good, he allows us to see miracles. I believe that miracles still happen today. And sometimes when people are with one of their loved ones who pass away, there is that sense, that very real sense that they have walked into another realm, that their body breathed their last breath, but they have gone to be with Jesus, that they have walked into the very arena of heaven itself. And this passage starts out with, and in the same region. Don't miss that little phrase. It is so important here. And in the same region. Last week, as we looked at the first seven verses, we saw that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them. There was no room for them in the inn. And I shared with you that Mary and Joseph traveled by the way or the route of the Transjordan approximately 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem only to get to Bethlehem and be turned away from the inn so that their child, their son, would be born in a stable, born in a feeding trough, born in a manger. And we focused last week on the fact that God didn't just allow this to happen. He ordained it. He ordained that they would be turned away from the end. He ordained that Jesus would be born in the lowliest of circumstances because Jesus had come for the poorest of the poor. He had come for the downtrodden. He had come for the abused. He had come for the rejected. He had come for the forgotten. He had come to be the savior of all people who would come to him in repentance and faith. And so it says here and in the same region. That region, the region where that little baby had just been born, in that very region, region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night they were going about their regular duties their regular responsibilities and if we are to feel the full force and impact of this for those shepherds this was just another ordinary day but it was about to change and to change dramatically now you, if you have been in church for years, have probably heard many sermons on the shepherds. They were the lowest class in their culture. 
They were despised by people in the upper classes. Their testimony was not always seen as credible in a court of law. They were often accused of being thieves. But there is something else that I want us to think about this morning. I want us to know that these particular shepherds were simple men. And I personally believe that God sovereignly came to this particular group of shepherds. I believe that they were devout and godly men. And the two words I like to think of is simple and devout. Simple and devout. I think it is possible that these shepherds worshiped the living God, that they may have had some familiarity with the prophecies of God about the coming Messiah. Have you ever thought there were hundreds of shepherds in the nation of Israel at that time? Why did he go to these particular shepherds, to this particular group of men? I believe that God knew exactly, excuse me, who he was going to. We aren't going to look at verses 15 through 19 this morning. But I want you to notice as you just peer down in your Bibles that after the angels went away into heaven, these shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And watch the next phrase in verse 16, and they went with haste. They didn't stand around debating about what had happened. They didn't wonder if they had saw some kind of illusion, some kind of mirage. No. They knew that they had heard from God and they immediately obeyed him. Immediately went to see the child. Well, in verse 9, we read of an astounding event as the realm of the unseen gloriously appears to ordinary people. In verse 9, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. What a verse. They're watching their, sh their sheep out in the field as they always did and an angel of the Lord a real angel appears to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them there must have been some kind of brilliant light that surrounded this angel that lit up the sky because anytime in the Old Testament we see the Shekinah glory of the Lord it is a brilliant thing it is a majestic thing it is awe-inspiring. And then it says this, and they were filled with great fear. I love to do word studies in the Bible because every word is so important. They were filled. They were filled with not only fear, but with great fear. Now, we need to know two things. Number one, sometimes in portraits or pictures, angels are depicted as kind of these petite, uninspiring figures, 
almost cartoonish-like. But that is not how the Bible portrays angels. If you do a study of angels from Genesis to Revelation, you will find that angels are warriors of God. They are great warriors of God. These, this angel, and we will see more in just a few minutes, but this angel, we can know, was brave and courageous and probably looked like a warrior, probably had the, the figure of a, of a warrior coming to be the messenger of God, coming to do the bidding of God himself. And then remember this. These shepherds were tough guys. Okay? When David in the Old Testament speaks of his shepherding, he says that he killed lions and bears. That was the job of the shepherd. They would often fend off, often with their staffs, predators, wolves, bears, lions, because their job was to protect the sheep. It was to care for the sheep. And I tell you all of that because these were men with a rough exterior, men of the outdoors. They did not frighten easily. So this wasn't some cartoonish figure appearing to them. This was a mighty warrior of God, and they were filled with great fear. Filled with great fear. And it isn't, isn't it amazing and wondrous how angels are all over the place surrounding Christ's birth. An angel appears to Zechariah to tell him of the birth of John the Baptist. An angel appears to Mary. An angel speaks to Joseph. An angel peer, appears to the shepherds. And then a multitude of angels appear to them. And this first angel makes a great announcement. In verse 10 we read, And the angel said to them, Fear not. Men of God, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again, notice the dramatic emphasis of the words, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. All the people. And of course, he was bringing the message of salvation. God had come to earth to deal with the sins of man. He had come to deal with the sin that was separating us from a holy God. And it was all about to begin in the incarnation with the birth of the Messiah. And this good news would bring to men and women and children great joy in their salvation. But don't miss here the great missionary emphasis, the great missionary thrust here. This message is for all people. It means people of all cultures, of all languages, of all skin colors, of all people groups, of all nations, of all educational backgrounds, of all economic levels. All means all here. From the very beginning, actually continuing a message throughout the Old Testament, God had come for all nations, for all peoples. And the angel says this, verse 11, For unto you 
shepherds, unto you, those who will believe. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I have preached an entire sermon just on that one verse. Other pastors have preached entire messages just on that. It is loaded with content. I will just cover it briefly this morning on this day. This historic day, not just for the world, but for the universe. On this day in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, the Savior had come. The Savior of the world, the long-awaited Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the Lord, had been born. This is a day unlike any other day. The long-awaited one, the chosen one, the anointed one had come. This was a day in which the salvation of the Lord had arrived. And then in verse 12, it says this. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now I want to use verse 12 to bring together last week's message and this week's message. O shepherds, this will be a sign. Now technically, I don't want to make this complicated, but technically the article before the word sign should be the rather than a. Of all the English translations I looked at, only the New King James Version, and I give great credit to the translators of the New King James Version, they're the only ones who have the article the rather than a. And I emphasize that not to make this complicated, but simply to say to you, the angel is saying to the shepherds, and this will be not just a sign. This will be the sign. The sign is that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feeding trough, in a stable. He will be lying in a manger. The king of the universe has come. The creator of all things has entered the world. But do not look, shepherds, in a main, excuse me, in a mansion. Do not look in a palace. Do not look for some great fanfare. This is the sign. The sign is that you are going to find the Messiah in a stable wrapped in swaddling cloths or rags. Because you see, shepherds, he has come for all peoples, for the poor, for the downtrodden, for the abused, for the neglected, and for the forgotten. He has come for them all. Well, if the appearance of one angel filled them with great fear, what happens next? must have overwhelmed these men of God. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, I want you to notice that one word, suddenly. There's one angel, and that one angel filled them with great fear. 
And now there's a whole multitude of angels suddenly, just like that, out of nowhere is what the word literally means here. Out of nowhere, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And don't miss the word multitude. You know, in some pictures it looks like there's maybe eight or ten or maybe a dozen angels that join the one angel. No, the word multitude here literally means countless number. There's a huge number of angels that appear. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? What a scene. You will get to see that, but you're going to have to wait till heaven. But what a taste of heaven. And you know what? That's exactly what this is. It's a taste of heaven. On this one momentous day, heaven, in a sense, intersects with the earth. Heaven and earth come together. Here are ordinary shepherds, men just like us here today. And there before them is an angel who makes a great announcement, and then he is joined by a multitude of angels who are praising God. What a scene. I want you to believe it with all your heart this morning, that on that day in the region of Bethlehem, this actually historically took place. And they were saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God. Praise him, is what they're saying. Praise God for what he is doing. Praise God for what he is accomplishing. People of the earth, do you understand that the living God has become a man? And think with me this morning, these very angels had been in heaven with Christ before he came down. They worshipped him, they praised him, they exalted him, they saw him in the fullness of his glory. And now he's a baby in a manger? Oh my, praise God. Praise God for what he is doing. And it says, glory to God in the highest. And then here I am preaching this morning from the English Standard Version, which happens to have an excellent translation of the last part of the verse. And on earth, peace among men, or excuse me, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And that is what the angels are saying. We're more familiar with the traditional rendering peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and that is not wrong, not wrong by any means, but I think this translation actually captures the thought of the passage, the thought of the text better. The angels are saying, on earth, there is going to be peace for those who believe. Peace with God. Sinful man reconciled to a holy God. Peace with the living God. Men condemned to an eternal hell can now find salvation and peace with God because of the one wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Those who will believe. Those 
who will have the faith of a child. And I personally believe these shepherds had the innocent faith and eyes of a little child. Peace to you. Peace to you who will believe. It could, it could be translated and on earth, peace among those who have been graciously chosen by God. Peace to all of you who will receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What were the angels thinking? Oh my. They are proclaiming and I think wondering all at the same time. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is a baby in a manger. They must have been filled with awe and filled with bewilderment all at the same time. Remember, angels don't know everything. Remember, as a church, we're going through 1 Peter. We've taken a break for the Christmas season, and then we'll get back to 1 Peter in January. But you may remember a time back we looked at 1 Peter Chapter 1 and verse 12, a famous verse, where it speaks of how the prophets of old, when they spoke the prophecies, they didn't fully understand all that they were speaking, but they knew this, that they were ministering to people in the future. They were ministering to the people to whom Peter writes. They were ministering to us. And it says, 1 Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now watch that last phrase. Things into which angels long to look. And the thought there is of angels standing in heaven and they're peering over into the earth wondering what's going on. Oh, they knew that God had come to bring salvation, but how it would all work itself out was still curious to them. They are so curious about God's graciousness and goodness and mercy and kindness to us. It literally means, when it says that things into which angels long to look, it means to stand on your tiptoes so that you can try to see. It would be like being at a great parade and you're on the sidewalk and it's crowded with people and you're standing on your tiptoes because you want to see the parade, the float, the band, or whomever may be coming down the street. Oh, things into which angels long to look. Well, our second point this morning is, do you hear the angels? Do you hear the angels? One of the interesting questions that has surrounded this angelic visitation is whether or not the shepherds were the only ones who saw and heard the angels. Have you ever wondered that? Were the shepherds the only ones who saw them and heard them? Now in verse 9 it says an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. In verse 13 it says and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Did all the people of the region see the angel and then the angels? 
if they did, there would have been a great commotion, a great stir, and we have no record, at least in Scripture, that such a thing happened. Is it possible? Is it possible that other people were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf when it came to seeing and hearing the angels? Is it possible that the shepherds were the only ones who saw this because God had opened their eyes? There's a parallel passage to this in the Old Testament. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you may know this story. The king of Syria was angry with Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha the prophet, and he wanted to capture him. And so he sends this great army, the great portion of the Syrian army. In fact, the Bible says it is a great army. He sends the army to Dothan, where Elisha the prophet was staying with a young man who was Elisha's servant. And we pick it up in 2 Kings chapter 6, and verses 15 through 17. And it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, this is the young man who is serving Elisha, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. He seized the Syrian army. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a scene. There was the Syrian army, but in the mountains surrounding them was this great army of angels on horses and chariots of fire. They were always there. Elisha saw them, but the young man didn't until he prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. About a year ago, I shared with you a short series of messages on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And one of the prayers we looked at was the great prayer of Paul in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul prays for the believers at Ephesus, and in essence is praying for us, he prays for them and says, Lord, open the eyes of their hearts. Open the eyes of their hearts that they may know the hope to which you have called them. Open the eyes of their hearts that they may know the riches of, your, of their glorious inheritance. Open the eyes of their hearts that they may know the immeasurable greatness of your power. Open the eyes of their hearts so that they might understand the working of your great might. Oh Lord, that was his prayer. Oh Lord, open their eyes. Because you see, even as believers, we can be spiritually numb, spiritually dull, to who we really are in Christ and all we have in him. And Paul says, open their eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of their hearts. Let me ask you a question. Do you see and hear the angels this morning? As you read this passage of Scripture, 
Do you see them? Do you hear them? Do you believe that this happened exactly like it is recorded by Luke? Do you believe that right now all around us are angels? In the fourth century, one of the early church bishops once said this. He says, everything in our world that seems empty is full of the angels of God. Everything in this world that seems empty is full of the angels of God. Oh, we don't see them. But they are there. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that they are sent by God to be ministering servants to those who know Christ. They serve us without us most of the time even knowing it. But I pray that God will open your eyes like the eyes of Elisha's servant that you will see that angels are real. That not only will you see that angels are real that every word of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is real. It is alive. It is the word of God. It was once said take the supernatural out of Christianity and all you have left is a religious book club. And that is so true. You take the supernatural away from our faith and it is nothing more than an academic and literary study. Nothing more. Let us be reminded this morning that everything begins with Christmas. Everything begins with Christmas. If you believe that the creator of the universe came to our world as a baby more than 2,000 years ago, then you'll know then you'll have no problem with the rest of what we believe. One writer said it this way, if you, if you believe the incarnation, you will have no problem with the resurrection. If you believe in the incarnation, God becoming man, then you will have no problem with the resurrection. Do you believe this morning? that the infinite God became finite? Do you believe that the immortal became mortal? Do you believe that the creator of the universe became the created? Do you believe that the omnipotent God of heaven and earth lived inside a young girl's womb? Do you believe that the almighty became a helpless baby? Do you believe that he who is God, a very God, was wrapped in rags. Do you believe, do you believe that the king of the universe was born in a stable? I pray for me, I pray for you, that we will lay aside all of our skepticism and all of our doubts and believe it all, every single detail. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for recording for us this majestic, glorious scene in your word of an angel speaking with men, of a multitude of angels appearing before them and praising you in their presence. 
Oh, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, and help us to believe it all. Help us to believe that Jesus is our Savior, the only way of eternal life and the only way of forgiveness. Thank you for his coming. Thank you for his dying. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for his ascension. And thank you that he is coming again. For we pray this as we always do. In his name, amen.